0: But if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter seven, verse thirteen and fourteen. And Let me tell you why I was inspired by this particular passage of scripture. So, if you've ever driven into the mountains, you know that these old country roads—they're not the easiest to navigate. Uh, as we made our way up to Ruby Falls, there's a—that's the easy one. But as you start getting around into the corners, you start realizing that this twenty-four passenger bus is probably not the best vehicle. They start traveling into the mountains. The vans, they do a great job, but not so much a bus. And so I started realizing that this, this particular uh, incident taking place was definitely God speaking to me in these words. And so I want to bring you to a little bit of uh, in, 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 where we're at. Since we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount, it's interesting, though, that Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 are nestled in with the Sermon on the Mount. It, it, as Jesus is contrasting in the beatitudes. And he's telling us about salt and light. We find this passage of scripture down in, in, at the, almost toward the end of his message. And he has this profound way of speaking profound spiritual truth with these simple illustrations. So here, Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter, it by, uh, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, certainly, Jesus isn't saying that there's only that the, the passage to salvation is difficult and no one hardly finds. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The first thing I want to start with is the challenge that Jesus issues here. The very first word he gives us, enter by the narrow gate. Now, why do we have to enter into something if, there, if we're already inside it? Well, let's look back at Genesis chapter 3. If you got your Bibles, you we're going to do some changing around here. I want you to run all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 as we look at the very first situation here, the temptation and the fall. Starting in verse 1, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the trees in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, interesting enough, this is what happens with, with, with the serpent. He says, No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. So we've got the very first situation here, the temptation and the fall. Interesting enough that this situation that Eve doesn't uh, accepts the challenge for eating the fruit. And then we see in Genesis chapter verse 10, same uh, same chapter verse 10, as we see the sin consequences that take place, as both now Adam and Eve have taken par- partaken into the fruit, their eyes have been made, o- been made wide open, and they realize they are naked. And now they find God walking through the garden in the evening breeze. And in verse 10, as God calls out to man, where are you? And he says, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asks, well, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now we see the sin consequences take place a little further down in 21. We see what happens when when after after God reveals, and man and Eve have been revealed to the fact that they have caused the disobedience by God's commands. So in verse 21, we see the Lord and his wife, uh, the Lord, I'm sorry, the Lord God made it, clothing out of the skins of Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Since man has come like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life. Eat, and if he does, he will live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground on which he was taken. And he drove the man out and stationed a cherub and a flaming sword whirling east of the garden of Eden to guard the way back to the tree of life. So we see here with the challenge, there's an application that starts at the beginning. Now, that's the beginning of why we must enter into the narrow gate. That's the reason why we have been separated. So there is a situation that takes place here that we have to be aware of because we have been removed from God's glory from the very first beginning of Genesis, which every one of us of a Adamic race has been imputed by that, by that sin. So each one of us born today are born into sin, no matter what our situation or how good We try to make our life. Now, all that be said, why do we need to enter? What's the need for entering? Well, like I said before, because if you noticed here, Adam and Eve have been put out of God's glory. So in order to get back into God's glory, you must have to enter back into something else. And Jesus lays this out in in 13 and 14 when he says, enter in through the narrow gate. Now, (laughs) I told you I was going to try to... Now, due to the beginning, we were outside of God's glory. Now, there is a sense of urgency that I want you to kind of look at here. Because of the fact that we were outside the gate, neither one of us know, and now that we will uh, uh, physically die a death, we do not know when that physical death will come. And so it's very important that as Jesus has given this command, enter through the narrow gate, that we don't take our time to enter into this gate. You know, a lot of this happens in a lot of, a lot of people's lives. As they continue on, they see Christians... And, and they see us following a narrow-minded type of mentality. Have you heard that? You're, you Christians are narrow-minded. Y'all don't like to give on anything. It's either this way or that way. Well, that's very much true because God's word is this way and not that way. The world's view would allow us to be able to manipulate those words and allow us to, to, to change the way our social behaviors are. And if you're taking a look today... You can see the social change that has taken place, not only in the families, but even in the church itself. So there's a sense of urgency for needing to enter in through a narrow gate. As the narrow gate is a small opening in in either a wall or a gate or a fence. Now, let me tell you something. And Somebody asked me, why why the narrow gate? Well, last time I checked, there's only one way to salvation. There's not multiple ways to salvation. Jesus says... Only through me can you be saved. Only through me. No other way. So as much as we would probably like to be able to go around that fact and get onto the narrow road, we have to enter in through salvation first. We have to believe that Jesus gave his life for us. We have to believe that we need Jesus because what happened to us at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Matthew 24, <clears throat> sorry. I told y'all this is going to be difficult. <laughs> Twenty four thirty six. Here's Here's why we have this sense of urgency. As Jesus spells this out. Now concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son except only the Father. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. So this is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. The two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Very sense of urgency that Jesus gives us there to go ahead and enter in through the ark. Enter in through the narrow gate, the salvation gate. The salvation that lays down our life and allows us to be glorified in our, in our spiritual bodies. So the way of entry, there's only one way. There's only one way into God's salvation. There's only one way into God's kingdom. And that is through Jesus. Now, I didn't make this up. Jesus himself told this in, in the encounter with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3. When he says, you must be born of the Spirit. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless you one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is only one way, and Jesus lays it out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No other will come to the Father except through me. So the narrow road, the narrow gate we see right now is Jesus standing in the pathway of your life. Your life is laid out in a broad street in a narrow road. Which one would you like to take? Jesus is saying, take this gate, for this gate is life. If you decide down this, this, uh, this path, that path is broadened destruction. And so we continue on with Jesus and how amazing he gives us this illustration in Matthew chapter seven. As we turn all the way back even to Matthew chapter five, the very first thing that Jesus starts to do, he starts to lay it out with a small contrast, the beatitudes as he starts to go through them. The poor in spirit are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed for they will be comforted, the gentle are blessed for they will inherit the earth. He continues on through the Sermon on the Mount with contrasting salt and the flavor and the unflavor. One is good and one is bad. He talks about the light and, show, and tells us that our light should be shown to all men, not hidden under a lampstand. He talks about the law in the, in the Sermon of the Mount, that he didn't come to destroy it, that he came to fulfill it. He talks about love. He says, love your neighbor and love your enemies. He talks about possessions and he talks about judging. Different entries have different areas for us to enter. And so we see the narrow versus the wide. In John chapter 3, there is only one way. There is only one way. Now, why does Jesus have to use both contrasts here? I thought about this as I was putting the sermon together. Why does he have to give us uh, the, the two different contrasts? Well, have you ever thought when Jesus and God made man, he knew how we thought? He knew how we thought. He knew that we needed two two reasons and one to make a decision. That we wouldn't just be happy with having one one plan and one way to make it. He always gives us two things to decide from. He lets it be your decision. It's interesting enough that Jesus didn't say force yourselves and force everybody through this narrow gate for this is the way of life. He just says you must enter it. Enter into the narrow gate yourself. And so we we see the narrow versus the wide. Now, I will tell you, and everybody can pretty much agree with this, that the wide path of destruction is 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 the broad path, and that's what Jesus starts to relate here as he continues to talk in in, Genesis, in Matthew chapter seven, verse thirteen. He says, "For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many." Well, who is these people that are on this large and broad path on their way to destruction? And well, if you remember all the way back to Genesis chapter three, when G, when God is is cursing the serpent. He says, your seed will be cursed. Now, what, does that mean that Satan is able to multiply? Does that mean that he is able to make more serpent babies? Does that mean we have serpent Satans running around? No, those seeds are our sins that com, that allow Satan's army to grow on a daily basis. We are the seeds, if we are not a believer, we are the seeds of Satan's uh, army. And so that is is, is very much... I'm so sorry. And so we see Satan's broad path of people going down the way of destruction because they are falling away and following a life that is easy that has been made by, for, through them. So we see the different paths here. Now let me talk about this different path. As we were on our way to church on Sunday morning, I received a phone call from the pastor of the church that we were going to. His name is Mark. And Mark said, Jason, which way are you planning on going to the church? And I said, well, I'm just going to follow my GPS. And he said, I figured as much. I figured the fact that you would follow the GPS. So let me remind you of something. There's a road up here called the W Road. And if you're bringing a big bus, it's probably not a good idea for you to take this particular road. In fact, take the easy route called this other road, which I don't even remember anymore because I wasn't half listening. And I don't know if you've ever tried to get 52 people prepared for Sunday to go to church. Some of y'all have one, two, maybe three kids. Let me tell you what, 52 teenagers, that's not easy. And so I'm sweating it out. I'm, oh, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go, got to go. So as we get into the bus, we start making our way. I plot in the coordinates on my GPS, and we make our way to this particular spot. And about this time, it starts dawning on me, and I remember... The caution that was, that was uh, given to me on the phone call. Don't go this road. It's very tough. But I decided that I don't know this place very well. We're going to take this road anyways. And how hard could it be? I mean, if it was a difficult road, it wouldn't even be on the mountainside, right? So we start up this path. With The very first turn, it wasn't that hard. I'm a good driver, by the way. We start at the very first turn, and there on the very, oh, as we're walking, going up the mountain, no semi-truck trailers, no double axles, hairpin turns up ahead. Now, I'm not from the mountains, and I don't know mountain, I don't know mountain slang. So I don't even know what a hairpin turn is. Well, we started on that first turn, it was a turn to the right, and I realized that this is a hairpin turn. It is literally doubling back the way we came. And the bus is barely able to make the turn without scraping the mountain wall as the traffic is coming down the other lane. And I didn't know it, and thank goodness I didn't know it, but the rear wheels have now come off the ground as I went over the side of the mountain a little bit. But just It was safe. Nobody, no teenager to hurt in the creation of this story. <laughs> and I thought to myself, if that's the only one, we're okay. That's the only one. We're going to be all right. We're going to live, and we're going to make it to church. So the very next turn was even tighter than the first. And now i got more cars coming at me. And so now we can't, I can't even make the turn as one normal turn. I have to back the bus up and make a three-point turn to get the bus turned back up the road. And we do this not once, not twice, not three. I think we did this six times and each turn was getting harder and harder and harder. And finally, I get to the top of the mountain, and I've literally got sweat. I don't normally get scared doing this stuff, but my heart was starting to rapidate pretty de- difficult. And all the kids in the back, they had been screaming. And I don't know what it's like when you have a big family. I don't have that big of a family, but since I don't, I had all these kids back there, and they're screaming their bloody heads off. And I finally just had to turn around and just tell them to be Quiet! I'm trying to concentrate. We get to the top. What a beautiful scenery, that's what I tell them. Look at the beautiful scenery we got. Focus on that. They asked, Mr. Jason, how are we getting down this mountain? And I reminded them of chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. There's got to be a better way off the mountain. So in saying that, there's a difference in popularity when it comes to choosing the path. You know, everyone else in that town knows not to take the W road, unless you're a local. If you have anything bigger than a Prius, it's probably not good to take the W road. And so me not knowing, I had to take the road that was laid out before me. But there's a popularity contest going with this. Because those who know the area, and they actually know that this road, even though it's difficult, actually gets you to your destination a lot quicker. And there is another road, by the way. So if you ever have to go up this way, you don't have to go the way I did, unless you just want to do it for jokes. But there is an easier way to get up. But it's the popularity that so many of us choose that we fail when it comes to following this command. Because when God says, take the narrow gate... Because the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who are few ever find it. You know, if I was a Christian or a non believing Christian, I might look at this passage of Scripture and say, You know what? Well, if it's so hard after you enter into salvation, then why would I choose to go that route? Why would God allow me to enter into salvation and then tell me life is going to continue to be hard? There is a problem in today's churches, and it's happening all over the country, where people are saying, if all you do is believe in Jesus, everything's going to be glorified and fine in your life. Nothing else is going to happen. You're not going to see persecution. You're not going to have issues in your life. Family is going to perfectly come back together. And though that is true to some degree, it is not the statement that Jesus is making here. He is telling us this road is still narrow and difficult. Why would Jesus tell the people that this is the situation that's going to take place? And and, and if you look around the world and you see that the demise of our social culture, we can see that the Christian life is actually getting a little bit harder to live inside the workplace, inside the school place, inside the family life. This is a very much a reality for all of us in popularity. Yes, it's easy to just follow the world and follow the ways of maybe even this election as we're watching. It seems like everybody's on board with this, these particular candidates when they get up there and they say absurd things, and they're happy about the popularity of that person. And it seems to be progressing but the person who stands to the side and says, I'm not going to stand for this stuff. I'm not going to talk like that. Well, it seems like their popularity is failing. Maybe I don't understand what's going on here. But there is a difference in the popularity as we continue on. I will tell you in Matthew chapter 8, verse 15, this is a situation that took place with Jesus in a centurion. It was not very popular for a centurion to seek out a Jew to go who was a Jewish rabbi. Or a Jewish healer, as Jesus was considered at the time, because he really didn't understand what he was. But this centurion seeks Jesus out when he has a sick person at his house. And when you see the encounter as Jesus gets closer to the house, the centurion comes out and says, Hey, you're not, we can't do this. I can't do this. For you, you know, it's not, it's not good for you to come into my house. Just say the words and may it be done. You know, the popularity in that, for that centurion was probably nil to zero. Romans were a despised people. No one would trust a Roman, and yet he did. We also see the difference in destinations. Well, if you want to know where the di- difference in destination, is spelled out very easy here. For the gate, of, the gate of narrowness is the way to life. The way to life. But the gate of wide and broadness is the way to destruction. Revelations chapter 21, 14 You can see where this takes place in the end during the judgment period. As Jesus spells it out, as John is writing to us and tells us this is the situation that's going to happen. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwellings. If not, I would not have told you not. So I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that there you may be with me also. You know the way to where I am going. Down in verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So we see the different destinations. The destination, the broad destination is our end destruction. That is the hell, that is the judgment period that we will be in faced if we choose not to go into the narrow gate. So each and one of us have a choice. We see, first of all, that it's an individual choice. Now, I would love, and particularly in my youth group, I would love to be able to pray a beautiful prayer and bring all of our youth into the kingdom of God. That would be my dream. If I could do such a thing, I would go out into every city and every town. I would go to every school and pray the prayer and bring them all to me and let them go into the kingdom of God. That would be a wonderful idea, and it would be so easy. But we see that in this situation, it's an individual choice. You are the only person that can decide if you're going to enter into the narrow gate of salvation or not. It is not allowed by myself. Even Jesus couldn't say, you come into the kingdom of heaven. You had to actually decide yourself. Only you can make the decision. It's also an intelligent decision. You see, the Bible is laid out in proof. There is so much proof in here about his existence. So much proof about God. It's creation. It's an intelligent decision. I have actually heard people say, I can't believe that you believe that ridiculous myth. There are people who say that. And for us who believe, we don't believe that same situation. We believe the the choice that we made is intelligent. We believe that the Father is in heaven. We believe that Jesus came To pay the ultimate price. We believe that through him that we will not have, we will not face death, but will have life eternal. And lastly, on this choice, it's irreversible. Once you make the decision to enter into the narrow gate, there is no coming back out. Jesus does not allow you to leave. Once you make the decision to follow him and be his disciple, reborn again, you can't get back out. And that's an assurance, that's a promise that we should be glad of. Because no matter how bad I wanted to get off that W road at that moment, there was no coming off of it. There was no turning the bus around at this point. It was a one-way street. I was going the way that I had to point up that mountain. And that's a promise that you and I can have the same situation. It's going to be difficult. It's going to have a hairpin turns. There's going to be blocks in our pathway. But through the power of Jesus, we can be rest assured that will continue on to the kingdom of God. But if you choose the broad path, if you choose the wide path, the easy path, the easy, cheesy path, well, let me tell you, once you pass through those gates, and that happens after you take your last breath, it's also irreversible. There is no coming back up. There is no one last choice. You should not take your entire life to make that decision to follow Jesus or to follow destruction. As our vocalists come up, where are you at in life?